0: Hello everyone. Welcome back to Spark Your Fire. This is John, and I'm uh, here with my friends, colleagues, and co-host David and Jazz. Good morning to you both, sirs.
1: Good morning, sir. What a week! What a week. Sad yeah. and interesting at the same time.
0: Yeah. On certain
2: times, I think what what it comes down to, isn't it? Anything can happen after COVID. Now we're now we're facing with different war threats. That's going on.
0: Yeah. Interesting times, and we're gonna we're gonna do our best to unpack all of that. Uh, we know that you come to spark your fire for 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 interesting news, and we'll give you our take on what's going on as well. Um, but uh, so let, let's let's spend this episode talking about uh, the war in Ukraine. Um, we know that uh, Russia invaded Ukraine yesterday, uh, but we're going to take a bit of a you know financial markets angle. We're going to say, what does it mean from a um, from an economic perspective will and we'll also you know I guess say what does it mean for real estate because we know that a lot of our listeners are real estate investors um, over here on the other side of the world here in Australia um, uh, and we might touch briefly on some other news because we know that New Zealand put their rates up uh, this week so let's let's touch on that but before we get into it um, I do want to start by saying that you know any t- we're going to be taking uh, an economics perspective on the invasion of Ukraine however um it does need to be say, said at the beginning that this is obviously any war is a human tragedy, and we know that people are going to lose their lives, and um, and and a lot of innocent people, of course, are going to be affected by this. So, so we we certainly we're going to talk about economics, but we don't want to lose sight of the fact that this is is and always is a, a human tragedy when these um, chess pieces get moved around the, the global board. And you know, it's 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 never nice to uh, to consider the human suffering that is always involved in. Uh, these wars so obviously our heart goes out to the people of the Ukraine um, and and you know hopefully hopefully, there's as little suffering as possible and hopefully you know whatever bad things are, is over soon so just wanted to, to get that out there. Also wanted to say you know none of this is advice. I suspect we're not going to talk about anything that would be advice worthy. It'll be sort of current events but it's always worth putting it out there. We don't know you. Uh, these are just three guys chewing the fat giving our opinions and i'm sure we'll be mostly wrong uh all right with all of that said uh let's talk about russia's invasion of ukraine they invaded this is actually a pretty well telegraphed invasion wasn't it gents i mean you know uh, uh, they moved the the army to the border of ukraine in in belorussia and in russia itself and then they flagged that they were going to be moving in um and and also not just not just that, but in 2014, the Russians moved into the south of Ukraine um, during the Obama administration and annexed, in, in inverted commas, two uh, provinces down there. So this is this has long been on Russia's radar. They've they've you know I think Putin talked about um, uh, how like this sense that Ukraine always has belonged to Russia, and that you know due to mismanagement by various soviet leaders from lenin to khrushchev that uh an accident of history that ukraine does not belong to russia so there's a lot of history there we're going to focus on the economics um jazz let's start with you mate what what do you what do you see as the economic impact of uh of the invasion and let let's let's go short short short-term impact medium-term impact and long-term impact
1: So before that, I want to touch on something you mentioned, John, which is this was very well telegraphed, right? So Hmm. it was all the way known that this is going to happen. Dates were published. Everything was published. Yeah, plus minus a day or two, whatever. right? But as a question. Why was it so telegraphed? I mean, generally, these kind of things go under the radar. You're trying to make your moves, right? Uh, They're very strategic moves, right? But in this case, it was very open. Um, I do have my thoughts on it. But before that, I'm pretty keen to see uh, why do you think it was done?
0: Oh well, that's the fastest handball back to me of all time. <laughs> uh, all right, let's. So I think there are two reasons. I think there's. I think the first reason is it gives um, uh, people a chance to leave. I think it gives d- diplomats a chance to, to leave. And I don't think you know w- when um, you've got like US embassies and UK and European embassies in the you, you don't want to be. Um, you don't want to be shooting. U.S. ambassadors, and then risk uh, 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 an all-out hot war. This is this is going to be this is chess pieces on the board. Uh, so I think that that's uh, and probably that's probably a generous interpretation as well. That it's a humanitarian reason, blah blah blah. blah. The, the probably the main reason is they they wanted markets to start to bake this in, um, and we, we always talk in this. Um, podcast about watching the 10-year yield if you really want to know what's going on look past the stock market to the debt market because everything is a derivative of the debt market and the 10-year yield has been suppressed um, with all of the talk of ukraine uh ukraine invasions and so that you know so we've got two conversations happening at the moment we've got inflation and therefore that the fed needs to put rates up and then we've got but Ukraine, uh, Russia is about to invade Ukraine. And so you've got this tug of war between this fear trade and this inflation trade. So I think that part of the reason it was so widely broadcasted was uh, to to allow this is a slightly sinister uh, kind of argument, but I think, that, I think this gives cover to the Fed in particular, but central banks all around the world, to not raise rates as aggressively as they were talking about uh, six weeks ago. Um, this, is, this is a way, and the markets immediately bake this in, but this is a way for uh, rates to stay low because even, we, we said on this very podcast they will talk about raising rates, but a deflationary event will come out of the blue to make it very, very difficult to raise rates as high as they need to go. This, this, this in my mind, is the deflationary event uh, that, quote, came out of the blue, um, and and I think that all, everything we need to know is in that 10-year yield, which can't get above 2% at the moment. What do you reckon?
1: Um, so I want to add one thing to that. I think one of the key reasons that they did, outside of what you mentioned, which is letting the diplomats, that's being pretty generous, letting the diplomats go publish, uh, publish, uh, publishing every single move of yours, right? Uh, I think it was more uh, fuck you to US, basically saying, you know what, we're going to go ahead, uh with the invasion we don't give a fuck about your sanctions um and uh, do what you can more or less so it was very strategically planned in the in the way that uh they were waiting for the olympics to be over as well because uh they're working closely with uh russia is obviously working closely with china on this one
0: yeah i mean there's a perception out there that the u.s is a Uh, a paper tiger i mean if you've got if you've got all all the hardware and the big you know it's not the biggest army but there's certainly the most sophisticated army on the planet right and this is the army that not only defends all of the u.s but it all defends all of europe as well Um, most of asia like the i mean like this is a big uh effective fighting machine there's no point in having the biggest army in the world if you're not prepared to use it and everyone in the world knows that America might have all the nukes, but if they're not going to press the button, it doesn't matter. Um, they don't have the will to fight wars. And so Russia can march into Ukraine and nothing's going to happen. And, you know, when in the lead up, when um, the US and UK and some other allies started moving their, their troops into the area, they weren't moving the troops into the Ukraine to defend the border. They are moving the troops into Romania and uh, Poland to defend NATO allies. Ukraine's not part of NATO. They can't, there's no contractual obligation to go and protect Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's the other, the other, the other weird thing, and I don't really know what this necessarily means, but the Ukraine has been in the news the last couple of years. Um, If you remember all the impeachment uh, stuff with Trump, um, they, they, there was the argument that he, he was impeached over conversations or there was an attempted impeachment over uh, what was happening in, Uh, over conversations with the Ukrainian president, but actually Trump wasn't so involved in Ukraine. It was actually the Biden family. So uh, Hunter Biden is on the board um, of Burisma Holdings, which is a big big gas company over in Ukraine. Ukraine's a pretty corrupt country, actually, and we know that the Biden family are are, heavily involved in in, um, Ukrainian politics and Ukrainian businesses. So... Is it is it a coincidence that we're talking about ukraine now i mean i don't even know what that means but it doesn't feel like a coincidence um yeah interesting david interesting. yeah off, I, know,
1: I know No, no, i know you were asking about the short-term long-term medium-term mm, impacts on it. the markets but before that uh david's opinion uh what 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 do you think david Why yeah, look, I, think so I, yeah I mean
2: I'm, I'm usually not as close to these kind of uh, i mean economic type of theory but i guess I have a question because you look at it as a, John, you mentioned it was a deflationary event, but I mean, the outcome of this invasion pushes oil prices up, pushes basically, you know, wheat prices, pushes everything general, daily general consumption stuff is mm. essentially, right? So isn't that causing inflation pressure instead of deflationary pressure? Um, in a sense, and yeah. why wouldn't, why wouldn't the reserve banks, like the the central bank and the RBAs be um, be wanting to raise rates in that in that sense?
0: Mm, good because question. So, that, that's so the, the deflationary event is is two things. It's one would it would be a stock market crash. So a, a deflationary event could be something like 9-11. Okay. Uh, um, but but the, the wars are essentially destructive. You know that they, they um yeah. So, so so that would cause a stock market crash. We saw that yesterday, although it rebounded. Mm. Um. But infl- you've, it's a very interesting point that you raise about inflation. The This particular conflict, pushing uh, oil up to nearly $100, although it came back down again, and pu- pushing a lot of soft commodities up because um, Ukraine's a big agricultural producer, it gives um, Western administrations that have been quite irresponsible with their monetary policy, interest rates have been too low all over the world, and... Um, interest rates that are too low is basically inflation. Now we have someone to blame for inflation. So they're going to say, no, it's not because we left interest rates too low and we locked our economies down. The reason that you're paying um, uh, $2 a, a, a gallon at the the petrol down at your local Shell station is actually because of that evil Russian uh, dictator who marched into Ukraine. This gives uh, bad politicians all over the world um an excuse and someone to blame for the inflation that they themselves created through their central banks. I think that's actually probably the main thing. This is a villain to to, to cop the heat for inflation in an in an election year.
2: Just be able to rationalise that uh, that that inflation rather than kind of saying we kept the interest rate for too low for too long. Um, mm. yeah, but the consequence, I mean, you know what you're seeing now and you're paying all these is not because of the interest rate being kept for too low and too long. It's because of someone to finger point this time now, <laughs> in this case, Russia, and, and, and invasion to Ukraine. Is that the way you look at it,
0: I, I absolutely think mm. that, okay. that um, this is someone to blame for inflation. Right. You say, well, that's, we're not the reason the oil price went up. It's not because we printed $7 trillion last year and then gave it to the banks. It's actually because uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. That's why oil prices are high.
2: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. No, that's, uh, that would make sense. Um, the other question I have uh, in regards to this as well is I heard that I think it was a Twitter from the Ukraine president or the prime minister, I can't remember which one. The Russians are marching towards the Chernobyl nuclear facility. I think they were um, in that. And I don't quite understand what the rationale behind that is, I think, um, to be honest. Is there anything anything related to that or is there any motives behind, you know, kind of moving or moving towards the Chernobyl um, which we know that previously had a really devastating event back in the mm-hmm. in the 1900s, right, um, because of the nuclear uh, plant. But I don't know. Is is it? Do, do you know what is any relation to that? I wonder. Not. I, I don't. Well, I, I don't. One
0: thing I'll say is that after the uh, Soviet Union collapsed, um, a lot of the nukes that the Soviet Union held were actually in Ukraine, and um, mm. there was a treaty that was signed in 1994 that where the uh, Ukrainians agreed to give all the nukes back to Russia. Um, now, what does that have to do with uh, with uh, Chernobyl? I don't really know, but I, 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 it's just very strategically important. And there's a lot of history. You know, when you read your Soviet textbooks about the famines that happened happened in the you know under the collectivization of the farms, they were they, they were famines that occurred in in Ukraine. So there's a lot of history there. Okay, all right, um, and I, I think. Uh, you- so yeah, just sorry. on the
1: nukes, nukes, I think Russia owns majority of the nukes, anyways, in the world. Uh, more than fifty uh, yeah. percent sit within Russia. So, um, and I think Putin, Putin was uh, at some point he did issue a statement pretty openly saying, "We know that we can. If there was a war, we know that we cannot win from U.S. and its allies and partners. But we do have nukes, whatever that means."
0: <laughs> yeah, they have more nukes than the U.S., but they also have, uh, uh, there's a lot of mothballs on those nukes. Like, they've got more tanks than the US as well, but the, the tanks are really, really old. That's it. I mean, the the, the Russian army is very powerful, so there's uh, yeah. no doubt about that.
2: Yeah, okay. No, just forward. uh And I and, and I think one last point before, which would also lead into, I guess, looking at a short, medium, and long-term kind of impact before I put it back to Jazz, Um Looking back into history, I think 2014, Crimea had the similar, well, wouldn't say the same scale, but, you know, Russia was obviously looking at uh, having a military operation towards Crimea at that point in time. And, um, you know, if we refer, I mean, personally, I think that's probably the closest historical event that is to this one. And if any investor is to look back into how history plays out at that point, is that going to be able to give us a bit of indication in terms of what could be happening or what could happen this time?
1: Look, history always rhymes, but uh, will I look at that personally to make my investment strategy? Probably not, to be honest, Mm. Um, because I think there's a lot of other factors at at play as well. One of the things that we were discussing of the recording is, is this a template that is being set for China to invade Taiwan? Right. So is there more to come? Maybe, maybe not. Um, Is this a, a cover up for central banks? to maybe print more money, which probably won't happen because at the moment they're trying to do QT and uh, uh, give themselves a reason to not raise rates. So the dynamics are, I think, personally pretty different. Uh, And uh, if there's one rule uh, that every investor I think should personally follow, and again, this is not a financial advice, none of us are financial advisors, we're more of punters anyways, uh, is that uh, when there's war, don't trade. Don't try to be smart. The only people who will win out of this is lobbyists and probably industrial military uh, unions complex who are controlling the arms and military. So uh, trading these markets will generally be pretty hard. Yeah, but yeah, in general, you can safeguard your money overall by parking it in the hedges like gold or cash. Obviously US dollar will perform strongly. It's a, it's, it will be considered as a safe heaven temporarily, but we'll go, we'll go more into detail of that soon. Yep. Yeah. But I, I, I won't look at that as a, as a way to work out what the future is going to look like. Cause it's different, completely different. We, we just came out of two years of lockdown and all of a sudden straight after the lockdown is an invasion. Right. And, uh, on top of that, this is just a news. How much of a, it is a rumor and how much of it is a true news? But there was a news out, I think, last night that Chinese uh, uh, Air Force planes were in the Taiwan uh, territory, eight or nine of them. What does that mean? Is it is this a scaremongering or is this probably look left where they are trying to do something on the right? Because uh, at the same time, remember, last year, China heavily trialed their digital currency as well. So there is not one thing, there's so, it, this, this is a jigsaw puzzle. There's so many factors at play if you start talking, uh, there's, there's digital currency, there's, uh, there's the uh, new partnership or the whole geopolitical arrangement is changing where Russia used to be more in alliance with the European unions, right? Um, but now they are more trending towards obviously China and Asian basically part, to be a part of the more Asian markets. Uh, and hence the Ukraine invasion of Ukraine as well to some extent. So uh, there's a lot of things that play here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely we'll we'll definitely get into the winners and losers. I think that that would be a really interesting um, uh, topic, and we'll also talk about what to do. Um, in these sort of uh, volatile times of geopolitics, but but let, let's get back to short, medium, long, or or you can pick one of those timeframes. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it over to David instead of instead of you, Jazz, because I'm scared that you'll just bounce it back to me again. Um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I need to learn how to bounce it back to you,
0: John. <laughs> so, David, what what what's it, what, what um as investors now? So we're all, we're, we're investors. We live in Sydney. Uh, or australia so jazz is in melbourne so we live in australia <laughs> we're investors predominantly real estate but we can invest in whatever we like what do you think the short medium and long-term implications of what we've just witnessed uh is this going to fizzle out is this going to keep going and how would you play it
2: yeah look i mean again it's my personal opinion um right so um it's probably going to have a short-term impact of uh, the markets is going to be very very volatile of course um, due to there's a lot of uncertainty. but in my in my personal opinion, I think the the, the, the the actual raising of rates for example, by the central banks is actually going to have more impact to the to them to the markets than these type of events. I have a feeling it's more it's more going to be more of a blip um, in, in that instance. know yes there's going to be a lot of fear and that's what we're seeing right now you know pushing pushing gold prices pushing oil prices uh funny enough bitcoin is at the moment absolutely buff buff. and anyway um, we'll see um but that could be a short term um right Uh, it could be a short term because people are really uh, easily forget about what happened in the past Uh, but it is more about the long-term economic the fiscal policies the monetary policies that's going to have a more impact on uh, the market so Short term, I reckon, yes, it's probably going to drop, dip a bit. And then medium term um, will be dependent on how each country's monetary fiscal policy is going to determine and how the economics perform. Um, same with long term. So, in no that instance, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you, what, what do you reckon, Jazz? Uh,
1: I think if there's one thing to be long this year, it's the volatility. We're going to see heaps, heaps of volatility. Um, I think the market's going to be pretty choppy overall. Uh, we haven't seen the real capitulation yet in the stock markets so far, in my opinion. Uh, I think we'll see a bit more drop, maybe another 5 to 10%. Uh, but most likely, we will see stock markets ending at a new all-time high by end of this year. So. The first of the half of the year will be pretty choppy, uh, and after that, it will be more steady climb, in my opinion.
0: And what what will be the catalyst for that? Is it that the market will realize that the Fed isn't raising rates as much as they thought, and so, that's why they're going to buy equities?
1: So one by that time, people would have already
0: uh, been over the news of
1: that this whole Russia Ukraine thing. It will be like just mm. like COVID, basically. Yeah. Secondly, is the Fed policy changes or Fed talk uh, will be much more clearer or the policy changes will be much more, th- th- uh, they, they would have implemented some of those changes, basically, whether it's the rate rises or whatever that is, right? So um, in my opinion, uh, I know JP Morgan uh, published a report a couple of weeks ago talking about maybe eight to nine rate rises. I think the rate rises will definitely happen this year, but it will be probably somewhere between vicinity of two to four. Uh, and uh, the markets has already priced in probably up to four to six rate rises. If you look at the treasury yields uh, before the start of this year, so uh, Q4 or December basically last year, uh, they were sitting at 10 year was sitting at what under 1% and currently sitting, uh, I think it went all the way up to 2% and then dropped to 1.7, wherever it is, right? So if you, if you look at it, it's already factored in. Those four to six rate hikes are already factored in, into the market. So if, if even if the Fed was to do four rate hikes, Uh, it's not going to change anything. But once it's all said and done, I think markets will uh, be over with it and it it will go on its normal trajectory of usual business, basically.
0: Yeah, I don't think they can raise rates with this hanging over it though. So we we were chatting before uh, we hit the record button today and it was, uh, if the 10-year yield is stuck at one9 to 2%, how many times can you really raise interest rates without inverting the yield curve? Because inverting the yield curve, e- curve equals recession, right? So, are they gonna are they gonna increase interest rates as many times as they're saying with the ten year yield at one point nine percent?
1: So that's a that's a very very good point that you just made, John over there. I think personally, uh, the rates will rise if you and we did discuss this before uh, two years forward looking. The yield curve, yield curve is inverted, mm. It well, uh, and that's where probably we will see the loosening of the policy again, a lot more QT, right. oh, sorry QE, right. and uh, if they do rate, raise these three to, if if we see uh, three to four or six, whatever the rate rises are this year and the next year, um, it will start to they will start to go in the opposite direction, basically drop them again. So two year forward
0: inverted. Does anyone think this is going to be? Is this going to be a bit of a fizzer, um, David? We were chatting before about, like, in two thousand and fourteen, they went into Crimea, and it kind of kind of market just digested it and moved on. I mean, is this is this going to be a bit of a fizzer as well, or um, or a bull? You know, uh, not, nukes won't be involved. I think we can probably agree on that. But um, is is this going? To, how hot do you think this will get?
2: I, I I think it's going to be a blip basically from a longer term mm-hmm. perspective as well um, you know given how given how coordinated and the timing it is um, at the moment right I mean just based on what we what we've spoken so far um, the the following of the events and um, yeah, the, yeah the yield curves and all that data doesn't lie basically I think if you understand if you're able to extrapolate something meaningful out of it you um, then yeah, I, I I reckon this is a lot of it is just smoke and mirrors, um, essentially, mm. and then causing a lot of fear uh, in the market. But eventually, like I agree with Jazz, it's going to normalize. It's going to normalize to a to a degree, and um, and it'll be funny to see. Yes, in two years, if the you know if you look at a two year curve, it's being inverted. Does that mean in two years' time it's going to be a recession? And therefore, you know they're going to have to reverse what they what they what they had to do previously, which is you know like what US had to do before they raised the rate, but then had to drop it again. Mm maybe
0: we'll see. Yeah. Just just to add a footnote personally on this this topic of the short, medium and long-term impact, I agree with everything that's been said around rates, inflation, all that stuff. So not to cover that again. One thing I would say is is that I think that one of the longer-term or medium to long-term implications of this is that it will bring Russia and China closer together. So Russia is one of the biggest... um, Energy producers in the world. And I, I think, you know, we said this on the podcast. I think we're actually in an energy crisis at the moment. Like that, that's what the oil price is telling us, at least. But let's say Russia, a big energy um, producer, China, a big energy consumer. I think a lot of that Russian oil and gas production that's currently being piped into places like Germany and other places is, I think that there's an agreement either formal or informal, that China will take that production. And I think that's why the sanctions aren't really going to matter because I think that they've got a ready buyer. Now, the other thing that that uh, Russia and Ukraine produce a lot of is agriculture. So you know, um, uh, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. A lot of the agricultural productions has got a re- ready and willing buyer in China, plus a lot of iron ore. I think that they're the second biggest after Australia. Uh, I think Ukraine's the second biggest iron ore producer uh, again i think that that production will go into china now what does that mean for australia well australia is currently the biggest iron ore producer um, and we produce a lot of agricultural products and i think that i think that the potentially the long-term implication of this is that it will deprive i think a lot of this will come away from australian exports and i think that china will redirect its imports from this part of the world and that will be the uh what what they do to to support their um their ally but um, but we'll see. We'll see. Australia's pretty, Australia's pretty, a pretty good producer of those things. So hopefully, uh, uh, we'll find export markets elsewhere, perhaps. Um,
1: all right. Just one, just one thing. Uh, yeah. This is the time when um, everyone should be recalling Buffett's quote: uh, "Buy when there's blood on the street, even if it's yeah. yours." Uh, I'm it's not yours. saying buy. I'm not saying. I'm not saying buy it now. But
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, It's it's the best it's the best investing quote of all time, isn't it? But the the problem is uh, who's got the balls to who's got the balls to do it? But um, but some people do. So keep some powder dry. Fortune
1: fortune favors (laughs) the bold.
0: Yeah. So so moving on a little bit. So who in in economic terms um, who are the winners and losers of this? Uh, Jazz. Who are the winners and losers?
1: In economic terms, who are the winners and losers? Uh, I think the winner out of this is going to be, in all honesty, the Asian markets, which is China uh, and its surroundings, and uh, obviously Russia itself as well to some extent. Temporary at the start, not, because obviously there'll be there will be a temporary effect of all these sanctions and everything. But uh, over the long run, I think it's going to be, it's clearly the emerging markets that are going to be the winner, in my opinion. The geopolitical landscape is changing. And if you look at the landscape, uh, in the past, it was all US and its allies, right? So now with China's China's GDP is what, close to 14, 15 trillion, US is what, 20 trillion? So they're already, yeah. already almost a world power or, or in power, right? So they, they're competing with the world power is the point. Uh, yeah. And when the, they start forming alliances with likes of Russia uh, and uh, try and invade Taiwan, Ukraine, already Hong Kong, uh, I think uh, it's going to be the Asian markets that uh, that will outperform in the next decade, right. in general. And right. plus, not to mention all the advances that uh, China is making in uh, AI, five G. Uh, digital currency, all of that, I think adds mm-hmm. up. So,
0: I'm I'm talking long run, uh, yeah. ten years over here. What do you reckon, David? Who, who, Winners and losers?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's an it's an interesting one, I think. But um, I mean, yeah, if, if we if we take the assumption that the the China Russia ally is being formed somewhat, um, and that's the new geopolitic um, formation, then yeah, certainly these two countries uh, are going to separate them out uh, from the rest of the world, right? I mean, I think that's that's pretty that's pretty evident. So um, they are still, I think, Russia is still going to get impacted somewhat because of that sanctions. And I think in in the past, I mean, Jazz, you're talking about very very long term because unless Russia is going to start trading on bitcoins or digital currencies mm-hmm. straight away. In the short to medium term their you know their trades are going to be impacted big time and i'm sure the stock market and everything is going to be impacted right so yeah. might be a might be an immediate short-term loser but a mid-term to long-term winner five to ten years all right
1: that's it, that and that's what i mean i mean there's yeah. no point of in this case there's no point of looking at short term short term yeah. means nothing over here in this case right because the geopolitical landscape is changing right because when, when something's changing there's no point of looking at that very time right now it's us But but moving forward in 10 years, Asia, Asia is Mm -hmm. the game.
0: Yeah, I, I agree that I agree that I agree that you know you should put a, a scratch through the word long term because we don't know. I mean, my, my if I take a really long term view, I think that that Russia and China have massive demographic issues, and I actually think that one of the main reasons Russia went into uh, Ukraine was because it has 45 million people, and Russia's got a terminal population problem, um, and China's about to go off a demographic cliff this probably this decade as well. So big demographic problems. Europe, Japan, they've got them as well. So demographic problems aren't unique, but they're probably the, 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 they are the worst in Russia and China. They're really bad demographic problems. Um, So long-term is too hard. um, And that's why I like that you guys sort of oriented to winners and losers over the sort of short to medium. Um, If I take a stab at this, I think that I agree, like the, the, the short-term loser is probably Russia. Um, their stock market went down 40% or 60%. Was it 60% or let's say? 60%. 60% mm-hmm. percent yesterday. I mean, that's huge. The ruble got absolutely smashed. Um, and they've been isolated from the SWIFT system. So that when they talk about uh, you know the West imposing sanctions, what they're essentially doing is isolating them from the US-denominated uh, financial system, uh, they can't get loans from U.S. and Western banks, and they can't use the SWIFT system and all that sort of stuff. Jazz.
1: So, SWIFT system, right? Obviously, they knew as a part of this invasion that there were going to be sanctions, mm-hmm. big time, right? Yeah. Bank of Russia openly said this, issued a statement yesterday saying that we are ready for sanctions. Yeah. Now, what yeah. ready, what readiness means over there? I don't know. Probably they've worked out a way through uh, with alliance with China, or they 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 know about digital currencies and all. Every every country is working on their CBDC kind of thing. So maybe maybe there's more. That's why a lot of these things are speculation. But uh, maybe there's more to it.
0: Well, well, Russia de-dollarized. Russia got rid of all its treasuries uh, in its central bank a couple of years ago. So Russia's in a sense completely completely independent of the US dollar. It's all gold. But China isn't. Is all got? That's right. They instead of buying U.S. Treasuries, they started buying gold. China isn't. China is still the second biggest um, buyer of U.S. Uh, debt in the world. So that's why maybe China uh, can't invade Taiwan yet because they need the Swift system. Um, so I think that you know, short term um, losers. Russia. Um, I think long term. The long term loser, I think, is still going to be the U.S. dollar. And the reason I say that is, people are going to get nervous uh, about. Being excluded from this the SWIFT system and the U.S. dollar system, that they'll start to find alternatives that might be like Ripple or something like that, or I don't know. But I think that I think there is nervousness about the U.S. dollar system. Um, I
1: think I think this will really set the stage for uh, for the future, or give a template for the future to other countries uh, if they are trying to move away from the U.S. system that they don't have to worry about sanctions that
0: much i think i think yeah. this
1: is going to set the stage for that in my yes.
0: opinion i agree with that and that can't happen overnight but i think that uh, that that's definitely something that's going to be start to be put into place so that you can act more independently without being punished like this mm-hmm. uh, even though you know i think what russia did was was bad mm-hmm. um i agree with you on asia i think asia uh, but but i don't think necessarily immediately i think that if if as long as china keeps its nose clean in this respect i think they'll be they'll be okay so uh, but i think actually the commodity countries are going to do very well so, so i think australia is actually set to be a, a massive uh, beneficiary of this and not just australia because we do commodities and perth will probably boom if the gold price goes up and and all the the the, the commodity prices go up it's that australia will reassert itself as a massive safe haven and what i'm sort of implying by that is You know, uh, Australian real estate on the other end of the world, safe as houses, uh, pun intended, is going to be, I think, is going to do really, really well. It's not only the interest rates, it'll be a bit harder to to put interest rates up now, but it's also because this flight, there's going to be this flight to safety. And that flight to safety is going to benefit countries like Australia, not only because of uh, uh, commodities, but also because of. uh, geographic uh, safety. So I think I think Australia is r- really well-placed and I think watch the real estate market in Australia um, now that the borders are open. I think actually real estate is going to be a beneficiary.
1: Uh, I totally agree on that. Uh, and any country with commodities, whether Canada or Australia, they're, they're going to do well. But mm. in terms of the major economic powers, if we are talking, it's going to be Asia is the winner. 10 years from now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, the tectonic plates are shifting and powers moving and all that sort of stuff. Um, anything else on Ukraine? Like uh, that was a pretty pretty <laughs> We went we went deep and we went dark as we always do. Uh, we know our listeners come to expect that. Uh, we you know we always come with a couple of different angles. Um, anything to add on Ukraine? Anything that maybe you know I should have asked that I haven't asked, or are we good to leave it there? Uh... Not Moroccan. from my end. I reckon we'll think leave it
2: right there, now. and then we can probably we can probably talk about what investors can do at the moment to be able to look at safeguarding themselves and what they should be doing.
0: Anything,
1: John? You want to specifically add
0: on that? I don't want to. I don't want to add anything. Um, let's talk. I agree, David. Let's talk about what in what what how do how do how do you manage not only your financial life but your life in general in in these sorts of moments? Um, Jazz. I know you've given this a lot of thought. What, what how do you play this? <laughs>
1: So again, it it when when you say how do you play this, um, this is very generic what I'm going to talk. It's obviously very different. It's going to be very different for different people. Uh again, if we, if listeners were or if people were focusing on whether it's this podcast or other channels um uh, or News media. I think they should have already been into commodities like natural resources and oil. oil. We talked on this podcast for about oil. I think we started talking two years ago mm-hmm. about that. Right at the time, it was in low sixties or wherever it was. Uh, went three digits uh, yesterday or the day before. So hardly people uh, should have already been in position. Uh, but if uh, but if you're trying to enter into the markets right now. Uh, or let's say if you are sitting all in cash at this point, I think it may be wise just to wait and let the air clean a little bit. Uh, I, I think there's some really good opportunities that are coming up in the market right now. Whether you look at the tech sector, NASDAQ, it's down 60, 70%. Whether you look at the crypto markets, down 60, 70%. Uh, or even S&P 500 in general down 10%, right? So uh, selected stocks like uh, Facebook, Meta, down heaps, right? So um, I, I think uh, allocation will be the key over here uh, of how you allocate your money, really, and what's your risk appetite. Commodities, I think, still will overall perform. Tech sector is starting to look uh, uh, on a... on a. Uh, ratio base is much more interesting. Uh, and uh, real estate, I think, if you're entering the real estate, it won't harm uh, if you do it in six months even. I, th- I think interest rates, like we said, are gonna rise. We saw New Zealand raise their interest rates three times in a row. So it's coming in Australia, that's gonna slow down the market in general, right? So uh, for, the, for the people who are looking at real estate, I don't think they have to as such go and rush right now that our prices are gonna go up tomorrow. I think they can take their time. So real estate overall will do well. Uh, but you don't have to rush into it uh straight away. So, nope, so there's heaps of good opportunities. The <laughs> so there's heaps of good opportunities, I think. Uh, well mm. it's uh, we just said that before. Buy when there's blood on the street. There's blood. Mm. Who's We're got the courage to, to buy?
0: David, what's what's the um what's the the play here when when you've got geopolitical geopolit- uh, instability and and all that sort of stuff? Lots of debt, lots of lots of instability. How do you play that?
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with Jazz. I think you know the, the uncertainty time is the best time to basically make your money to a degree, but and it depends on the receptivity of individuals, right? Um, I mean, when we look back, you know, the stock market had a, what, a 40% slash during the coronavirus period initially when it started. That was the best time when you look into the history. And that was an uncertain time. Not many people had the balls to get into the market, but those who did took a clean profit out of it, right? Um, so that's, uh, so, so, and, and I think with events like these, typically the growth stock or the, or the tech stock type are the one that gets hit the hardest. Um, so that's what, you know, we're seeing the Facebooks, so the likes of Facebook, the Teslas at the moment, which is looking extremely cheap at the moment, by the way. I'm so tempted to buy more. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the likes of the growth stock at the moment is uh, is, is going to get uh, hammered. And there might be potential uh, a bit more to, to go, to to drop. So, um, you know, keep your cash available uh, just in case there are good opportunities because you might be able to pick up a few bargains uh, from a longer-term perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, um, and and I think it it all, and I think talking about properties as well, um, properties, safest haven, we all know, um, is is probably one of the most robust asset classes in Australia. Um, I don't think it's going to fluctuate too much. It's, it, because this is the geopolitics there is not going to have any impact in terms of the properties, um, and when the borders open, yeah, the the will be open, and um, there will be people wanting to come in, moving to a safe countries like this. Um, and that's what we expected as the next potential boom, because uh, they will be driving the next boom, not because of the interest rate. And I think actually that's a good, good point to mention here. Interest rates is not the only factor that will drive the house prices. I think a lot of people have that misconception mm. to say, oh, if the interest rate goes up, the price, house price should be dropping like 10, 15%, right? Because people are going to stop buying. Good that's point. not the case. I think that the key determining factor here is whether people can still borrow money. That's the key determining factor to see where the house prices are going to go back up or not. If you look back into 2017, 2018, when, you know, when Sydney has come off the boom, it's because lending is difficult. That's why the city prices have actually called back. It's not because of interest rates whatsoever. It's just because at the moment, the environment is very, the environment, it's a low rate environment. We all know. Yes, we've enjoyed that. And we probably, you know, it's might be an upward trend from this point, but the lending side of things has not changed too much. And that's why, you know I, I personally don't think that the house prices is going to be impacted too much based on the interest rate rises in the next few years um, so which means you know property would still prove to be a good asset to uh in your pop in your portfolio in your overall portfolio it would still hold a good uh, a good allocation and i certainly suggest that everyone uh, have, have some have a percentage of that because that would be a, a good base um, of the total portfolio.
0: I, I like that. And, you know, the interest rate's not the most important thing. And I'd add the real interest rate is far more important rate. than the interest rate. And we always think in terms of just the nominal the nominal rates. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree Though that. I, I'd, I'd add a couple of footnotes. You know, volatility, inflation, that's what we're kind of dealing with. Australia's a really lovely place to be when there are geopolitical problems because we are relatively safe. I'd say consider... Uh, inflation hedges. Inflation hedges, generally speaking, are, are tangible assets, but they're not always. Uh, cryptocurrencies may be a, an inflation hedge. We'll, we'll, we'll know. We'll know over the next couple of years. Uh, but typically, real estate, gold, silver. There's there's a couple of inflation hedges. Even even you know the ASX 200 is an inflation hedge. So, just think about your portfolio in terms of inflation hedges. Um, I would also what one thing I'd also say is um, that. It, I don't know how hot this war is going to get. So maybe there won't be them, you know, bombs and bullets and all that sort of stuff. But one thing that, that will probably happen that's probably more likely than bombs and bullets is going to be digital hacking. Um, you know, the, I think Putin even said that the um, next war will be fought with ones and zeros. So what does that mean? That means as as individuals and investors, we need to make sure we've got cybersecurity uh, measures. We've got antivirus software. Um and all that sort of stuff, and I know it sounds boring, but like that—that that is something that you should really be considering. If you don't have any virus software, you, you need to make sure you've got that. And I think John,
1: out of all three of us, the one who really will need is you. <laughs> you cannot get
0: anything. You I don't own anything. Um, <laughs> and uh, and um, what, one thing I'd say is that have some cash on hand because. Um, you know, it's possible that if there are hackings of the, the big banks, there might there, there might, might well be, quote, bank holidays where um, the banks are shut and the ATMs aren't working and all that sort of stuff. So um, I'd say, you know, have some cash on hand. Wow. Um, yeah. Otherwise, just, you know, just focus on your community and focus on being around like-minded people and uh, you're going to need mm-hmm. stuff from them and they're, they're going to need stuff from you and, um, you know, look after each other. That's the That's best uh, best advice I can think of.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Here's a, here's, a, here's a question for both right. of you. <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10, what is the likelihood of China trying something similar on Taiwan within
0: the next 12, 12 to 24 months? I'm looking at my Chinese colleague, David Shear, <laughs> um, I, I was,
2: I'm, I'm from Taiwan, basically. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> so, it's right. actually the invaded part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
0: interesting. You'd have a, the best. Uh, I've been following.
2: To... Look, I haven't been following that closely, to be honest, just because I mean, I look at myself probably more of an Australian than a Taiwanese, in honesty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I know they think slightly differently. I mean, Taiwanese does think uh, independence and, and all that, and I've been disconnected with that type of culture for too long. If I look at it from a foreign perspective, however, um, the chances are quite high, I think after, after Russia had this demonstration um, of what they can do and what the airlines can do and you know all, all signs of indication kind of shows they're developing their digital currency, so they're not going to be afraid of sanctions away anyway. And you know with the amount of technology with an amount of people with the amount of uh, labor forces, uh, GDPs, it's it's a strong country to be able to stand on its own essentially and with the support of russia and you know the new geographic uh, political in play there could be very likelihood that um it might not be an actual invasion i don't know uh, china might take a different approach here okay so they might not be rallying the troops as part of such but there are multiple other ways that could that could potentially um uh take taiwan back let's put it that way
0: Sure. I agree. Just my, my my twenty seconds on that. Uh, I agree. I actually don't think China can afford to be isolated from the international community. We talked about how China is the second biggest buyer of uh, U.S. treasuries. Uh, they're very much in the SWIFT system, and um, if they and everyone knows that if China invades Taiwan, they're going to be uh, they're going to have the same sanctions that Russia has, which means they're going to be outside that that financial system. So I don't think they can do it. I think what I, I agree with you. I think they have other options, and that will include. Something more akin to what's happening in Hong Kong, where they infiltrate the political system and they sort of uh, take over slowly from within over over time. Because there's one thing China's got it's it's time. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But you're you're talking to someone who like there's I couldn't know less about this about how China works. Like that's how I am so ignorant on this. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, but that would be my guess. Fair enough. (laughs)
1: Right.
0: Tick. <laughs> well, well, geez, well, well done guys. We went, we uh, went deep. Um, if you guys have any uh, thoughts or comments, uh, send us an email in the email uh, address in the notes below. Um, in the meantime, uh, thank you for listening. If you uh, like what we do here, uh, click the like button, subscribe, share it with your friends. Let's get our listener base up. And, um, and I think what we do here, you know, we, we, uh, we do give a a pretty uh, 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 interesting take on things. And I think quite often we get a lot of things right. And these are the things that you're not going to hear necessarily on the mainstream. So if you like what we're doing, tell us you like it and uh, we'll do more of it. Uh, In the meantime, stay safe, be safe. Um, And uh, none of this is financial advice, of course, but we will see you next week at Spark Your Fire.